three times your normal vitamin C and stuff. So. Good morning. Could you make your way on in and take a seat? Come on in. Come on. Come in, come in. You who are tardy, come in. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. Do you know that song? Yeah, it's okay. Okay. I just didn't know. Come on in. <sighs> kind of feel like we could almost go home already. Man, it was good. Aren't you grateful for the worship team and their willingness to go for it? Man. I feel like there's sometimes, although I know we need to sometimes move on, there's sometimes it just would be nice just to park for a while and just soak in His presence. Uh, sometimes we get so consumed with our stuff that we forget how immense and amazing God is. And it's good just to be reminded that God is more than able. There's nothing that you're facing that is too big for God. And I know that for some of you here, you're facing some significant things. Some of you have diagnoses. Some of you have physical stuff that you're struggling with, accidents that have happened. Some of you have relational stuff, financial stuff. I still believe that God is more than enough, no matter what it is that we're facing. So that's really what we were about today, is just putting our focus back on Him. And I think that's a good place to be. Uh, Jehoshaphat, at one point, was faced with an army that seemed innumerable in Second Chronicles chapter 20. And at that point in time, they're strategizing, what do we do? And King Jehoshaphat did the only thing that I believe was the wise thing to do. It says he got on his face and he cried out to God. And he said, God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So that's where we went. It says, fixing your eyes upon the author and the finisher of your faith. That's what we've been doing today. Isn't that a good thing? Um, this morning, well, let me ask you, how many of you have recognized it just in your brief lifetime? Some words and word meanings have changed. Have you noticed that? Okay. Uh, we, I, I find that we use words, we use cliches, we, we use phrases sometimes without even recognizing what we mean. And sometimes meaning the exact opposite of what we think we're intending by it. Um, I can remember when I was a kid, and maybe I'm dating myself, but us guys, guys now, and again, we would never do that now, but when we were young and immature and unsaved, we'd look at a girl who was sexy, and we would say, man, she's hot. How many of you guys remember that? Yeah, okay. Uh, or um, we, we, the girls would look at a guy who had long hair, you know, and it was flowing locks, and, you know, he, he just dressed perfectly, and said, oh man, he's cool. Even though neither term had anything to do with the temperature. We would use, or, or we, would, we would walk up to somebody and we'd say, hey bud, what's up? And we never intended that they would look skyward and actually tell us. But we used words, we used phrases. Uh, one of the ones that was big back in the 70s was, oh man, that's heavy. 
but the gravity worked just the same then as it did previously. But we use words, we use cliches, we use phrases that we don't... I mean, I was thinking about what are words that are used today that uh, aren't really what we think they mean. Uh, I, I had somebody say recently, something was lit. I had to look it up. It means cool or awesome. This one I got. This one I understood. They said, somebody wigged out. I think they were talking about their teacher after the class acted up. I'm pretty sure that was what it was about. Or this one, I always have to remind myself what it means. They, they call somebody the goat. Doesn't that sound bad? But it's not bad. It means the greatest of all time. It's an acronym. G-O-A-T. So we use words, we use phrases that sometimes we don't even know what it means in our culture. Um, or sometimes people use words and phrases that actually mean the opposite of what they thought, or they use words that aren't even words. Now I'm just going to rant for a minute. This is me, a guy who enjoys the English language. English. The King's English. And to see people butcher it. Um, here, here's some of my favorites. People say this all the time. Annunciate. <laughs> or, how many of you like espresso in the morning? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Or, how about this? The, this? These are my two all-time favorites. Irregardless. Or, orientated. Unless you are Karen Lonneville and you're from Britain, you have no right to use that word. There is no such word unless you're in Britain. In America, you are in America, we use words that instead of saying irregardless, you're supposed to say regardless. Or if it's not regardless, it's regarding. There is no such word as irregardless. And it's enunciate, not enunciate. It's oriented or orientation, not orientated. Um, it's espresso, not espresso, unless you're riding those torture devices down at the Y called bikes. Then you could say you're riding the espressos. Or, this happened not too long ago. I had somebody say to me about something that they were talking about. They said, I could care less about that. Think about the words. <laughs> I could care less. Which means you do care some. What you were trying to say is, I couldn't care less. But what you said is, I care less. Or I could care less. Or, here's one that was really interesting. Somebody said, they were talking about a decision ring and said, yeah, I just made a, I, you know, it's just, I was going in this direction, I made a full 360 and went the other way. <laughs> On a simpler basis, how many of us say things just to be socially nice, and we really don't mean it at all. 
How many of you have seen somebody as you're walking by on the sidewalk and say, hey, how you doing? And you keep walking without any intent of having them actually answer the question. In fact, how many of you have had somebody ask you, hi, how you doing, and what's your answer? Fine. And you're really not doing fine at all. We just use words just to get by, even though we don't really mean them. And the truth is, we do the same kinds of things with religious-sounding words. We pick words that sound important because we've heard somebody somewhere in church use that religious word and we think, wow, that's a cool word. I ought to use that. We use words like um, grace or faith. Faith. You just got to have faith. Or uh, recently I was reading a lengthy article where the person used the word repentance so often and everything in me wanted to redefine it for them because I think they were doing a injustice to the word we use words to sound important we do it in everyday conversation even in our prayers we fall into the trap of praying something because we heard somebody pray it and we thought it sounded cool one time so we pray it even though we don't know what we're praying um i i as some of you know i go down to uh bud's deli every once in a great while maybe once a month um <laughs> And I get coffee. They have the best coffee in town, by the way. I'm just advertising for Paul Rissinger. How many of you remember Donna Rissinger? Paul Rissinger is her son. Paul owns Bud's Deli now. It's a cool connection, I think. But anyways, uh, somebody's talking about they had a diagnosis of cancer. Cancer. That, that's pretty serious, right? The response after some awkwardness was, well, praise the Lord anyway and then move on. This person has just told you they have cancer. And your response is, praise the Lord? Just because you don't know what else to say and it sounds religious and spiritual? I want to look at one of the religious phrases I think we use often. And I think we give it little thought. I don't think we actually think about what we're saying when we say it most often. We say it in conversations. We say it in prayers. And we say it, um, well, let me put it this way. When somebody sneezes, what sound do they make? Achoo. What words do we say? Do you even mean it? I mean, somebody says it, and without thinking, I mean, if you're going to mean something, you ought to actually think about it. Without even thinking, you just say, God bless you. And you just keep going. Or if you're German, you say, Gesundheit. What does that even mean? That's in another language. You're talking in tongues. But we say, God bless you. God bless you. And that's kind of what I want to look at this morning. Is bless. The word bless. Blessing. Uh, if you can, turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. Proverbs 10, 22. Really quickly, come on, got to be fast. Okay, it's up on the screen. Just look at the screen. Ready? Here is the Scripture. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and He adds no sorrow with it. It's not unusual for people to conclude an email or a letter with this statement, God bless you, or I shorten it to just blessings. If you've ever gotten an email from me, that's normally how I end it. I just say, blessings, PC. But 
When we say bless to somebody, do we even mean what we say? If we're going to be a believer and we want to mean what we say, shouldn't we know what the term blessing actually means? Do we really believe that it actually, it, whatever it is, makes somebody rich and it doesn't bring any kind of sorrow with it? Do we really believe that about this idea of blessing? If we're going to say what we mean and mean what we say, we ought to understand from the beginning, from the person who actually invented the concept, who and what and where and why and how we ought to use that phrase. So that's kind of what I want to look at this morning. If you can, now you can turn over to Genesis. You might as well turn to like Genesis 12. I'm going to get there in a minute. But back at the beginning, well, let me start with this. In the Old Testament, there's, there's a word that is used for blessing. It is the word barak. B-A-R-A-K. Barak. The word barak literally means to kneel. To kneel. It's like where a knight kneels and is knighted, except for in this case, it's blessed. The idea is used over 400 times in the Old Testament, the word blessing. In the New Testament, the New Testament word for blessing is the word eulageo. Eulageo. We get our word eulogy from it. That word is used, uh, let me find it here, 41 times in the New Testament. And it means to speak well of. To speak well of. So you've got barak, which means to kneel. You've got eulageo, which means to speak well of, occurring throughout the entirety of the Bible. But one of the things I want you to get is there are actually, in the Old Testament, which is where we're going to go first, there's actually a three-step theme that is carried for this idea of blessing. And I've actually got it up on a screen for you somewhere, I think. It's on there. Three-step theme that follows. The first is, when you come to the issue of blessing, it always starts with the greater blessing the lesser. And you see that in the New Testament. In the, when the writer of Hebrews talks about King Melchizedek. And King Melchizedek, who is the greater, the king, blesses Abraham the lesser. So it starts out with the greater blessing the lesser. The second part of that theme is it's an invocation. It's a summoning. It's kind of like the best way I could think of doing that is this. When I have a young couple standing in front of me and they're wanting to get married, so it comes the wedding day, and they're standing in front of me, we've gone through the ceremony, they've made their vows, I say these words, by the authority vested in me as a minister of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and in accordance with the laws of the state of New York, I now pronounce you husband and wife. That is the word that is used for invocation. It is actually pronouncing or calling forth. It's a summoning of that which is true into existence. What you have done has now made you husband and wife. And I declare it in front of everybody. That's what the invocation is. So that when you bless, there is first the greater to the lesser. Then there's the sense of an invocation. But what are you invoking? What are you calling it to being? And that's the third thing. The blessing itself is an indication or a sign of special treasure or favor. That's what it is. It's like finding a treasure chest. And you declare, I found a treasure chest and it is yours. That's the kind of pronouncement. So it's the greater 
blessing the lesser by invoking special favor or treasure upon them. So, we're in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 now, if you want to follow along with me. Genesis 12, 1. I won't take the time, by the way, to go back to the very first time the word bless actually occurs. It occurs in chapter 1 of Genesis. And you go back and find it yourself. First thing that happens is God blesses creation itself. But then by the end of chapter 1, when He has finished creation with the pinnacle of His creation, man, the Scripture says, He blessed Adam and Eve. He blessed them. And then when we get into the next chapters, we find that He blesses the Sabbath, the seventh day. And then we find in chapter 9, He blesses Noah after the floodwaters had receded. He blesses Noah and his sons. But in chapter 12, there is a shift that happens that changes the whole idea of blessing forever because for the first time, the idea of blessing is intended to be transmitted beyond yourself. And I want you to keep that in mind. Blessing is intended to be received and then given away. That's what's going to happen in chapter 12. So let's look there. And again, um, I don't know, by the way, maybe you guys aren't like me uh, growing up in my family, which wasn't the nicest family um, in terms of dysfunction and all that kind of modern verbiage. There was stuff that happened in my family. It's not uncommon when you're growing up in a household that is not fun to actually dream about another household. Some of you have done it. I certainly did. I daydreamed that one day I would find out that I had a rich uncle who died, who had no other male ancestry in any of the genealogy at all, and so he left everything to me. This was before my brother George was born, by the way, so it counted only to me. So I daydreamed about having a rich daddy warbucks who would then take me under their wing and care for me. Well, I want to suggest to you that every single one of you in this room who call yourself by the name of Christian have just such a great uncle. Except for it's great, 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 I don't know how many greats, but it's a lot of greats. All the way back to a guy by the name of Abraham. Abraham, according to the Scripture, is your forefather. He is the progenitor is the exact word. He is the progenitor. The pattern of everybody who has a certain kind of faith in God. He exemplified it for us. And then he says, everybody who is like that, who has that kind of faith, gets into my family. And you get my inheritance. Everything that is Abraham's is yours. And that's what we're going to be looking at now. If you're going to understand your spiritual heritage, this is about your inheritance, about heritage. If you're going to understand who you are and where you fit in life, you have to start back at the beginning and that you are in Abraham's family. Let's look at it. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Follow along with me if you would. Genesis 12:1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, back then he was still Abram, he wasn't Abraham yet, but he's going to be Abraham soon. The Lord said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. That's the transmittance of blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, if you have your Bibles, right in the margin of those verses, you ought to write this. New Testament principles. Because that's exactly what these are. These are promises that God has given to an Old Testament saint that has New Testament implications if you understand it. And that's really where I want us to go today. Abraham was our progenitor, our forefather, a prototype of the kind of person who, having the kind of faith that Abraham had, received the kind of blessings that Abraham got. And if you're in Abraham's family, those are yours. So the first thing I want us to look at this morning is where we all fit in in regards to Abraham in Genesis 12. Now, if you can, turn up to Genesis 22, just a couple of chapters later. Genesis 22, God again talking to Abraham after Abraham has been willing to sacrifice his son on Mount Moriah. It's there that God meets with Abraham to renew his covenant with Abraham. And the covenant includes certain blessings. Look at it. Uh, Genesis 22, verse 17. He says, Blessing, I will bless you. In other words, it's almost like he's doubling up on this. He's saying, I'm going to bless you, but in that blessing, I'm going to bless you again. Blessing, I will bless you. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Two things that God basically says to Abraham. The first is that He says, all of your offspring, your seed, your descendants, will be absolutely innumerable. I know a lot of people read this and they think that what it means is that we're going to have, Abraham's going to have exactly as many children and children's children and children's children as there are stars in the sky and sand on the beach. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying in the same way that you can't count the stars and you can't count the sand, in the same way, your ancestry is going to be innumerable. In fact, in order to emphasize this, he even adds the word multiply. Whatever is true of the stars and the sand, you have to multiply that to get the idea of how much blessing is coming down upon Abraham. The second thing I want you to get here, though, is that God has already fulfilled His Word to Abraham. In our lifetime, God has already fulfilled that. Um, Abraham's seed is basically twofold. It is first biological. There are people that you can do a blood test for. It is actually absolutely understandable. You can, you can find out who is of Abraham's biological seed by taking a blood test. People who are of the Semitic race, the people of the Arabic word, Jewish people, all of those are Abraham's biological seed. And then if you go online to Wikipedia, which you know is 100% accurate 100% of the time, Wikipedia says that there are over 1 billion people who are Abraham's biological seed. And you can't really count them because as you count them, more are being born. And some are dying. 
But because the birth rate is outstripping the death rate, there are many more coming in. So even as you're counting that billion, there are more being added. It's innumerable. But Abraham's seed is not just biological. It's also spiritual. Those who call themselves Christians, who are born of the Spirit of God, who have the same kind of faith as Abraham, are his spiritual seed. And Wikipedia tells us that right now on planet Earth, there are over 2 billion believers. True believers. Now, I'm not talking about people who go to church once every six months. I'm talking about true believers in Jesus Christ who have put their faith in Him. There are over 2 billion believers right now. And you can't even count them because as we're having church here today, and one might be added to Christ, around the world in different time zones, more have been added. And some have died. But according to Wikipedia, there are 2 billion believers in Jesus Christ. When you take those two numbers together, that's 3 billion people. That's a lot. And it's growing. You can't keep track of it. So that God has fulfilled His Word to Abraham. Now, notice what happens though. Look at Genesis 26. What God said to Abraham, He's now going to say to Abraham's son, Isaac. Genesis 26 and verse 4. He says, I will make your descendants. He's talking to Isaac now. I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So what God said to Abraham, He has now said to Isaac. In other words, the blessing of Abraham did not stop with Abraham. God says, I'm transmitting it through you, Abraham, to your son Isaac. And it doesn't stop there. Look at Genesis 28, where now He says it to Abraham's grandson, Jacob. Genesis 28, verse 14. He says, All your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed... All the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. So here's God. God speaks to Abraham, to his son Isaac, to his grandson Jacob. Why would God repeat it? He's already said it to Abraham and said it's going to go on. Why would He say it to the three of them? I believe it's because God says, anytime I'm going to establish my word, I'm going to do it through the mouths of two or three witnesses. And He makes sure that you understand that this which He has promised Abraham is going to be transmitted to all future generations. Here the Lord confirms it. Now, this truth is carried forward in the New Testament. I told you, this was a New Testament principle spoken in the Old Testament. So turn to Galatians, if you would. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3.26 There God says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now don't get caught up in the whole gender issue. At the time in which it was written, they meant this as those who are of full-grown age able to understand and bear the inheritance that was theirs. For as you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, for as many as of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. 
There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now look at verse 29. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. In other words, if you are a Christian, you have inherited all of the blessing that God promised to Abraham. Everything that is Abraham's inheritance is yours because you're in Abraham's spiritual lineage. And then Paul goes on to say that in that seed, there knows no artificial exclusions. It doesn't matter what your race, I'm looking at what he has here in verse 20, it doesn't matter what your race, what's your color, what's your social standing, what's your gender, what's your occupation, slave or free. He says it doesn't matter. There is no exclusion. If you're in Abraham's seed, you get it all. It's all yours. And interestingly, look at that verse 29. He says, heirs according to. That, that, that Greek word for according to is the Greek word kata. K-A-T-A. Kata. And it literally means to come down upon. And the idea that Paul is talking about, it's, it's almost like it carries the idea of being in the right place at the right time. Um, when I was a kid and I played Little League, uh, the Little League uh, practice field where I would go and I would play with Mr. Ellison was my coach. How many of you guys remember your Little League coach's name? Mine was Mr. Ellison. His son, Ricky Ellison, went on to play for the New York Yankees. I would have to get on my bike and I would pedal for all I was worth to go play. And that field was four or five miles away. I looked up on uh, Google Maps and I, I'm not 100% sure whether he lived on Gasner Road or on the next road beneath it. But either way, it was four to five miles away. And I would get on my bike and I would ride for all he's worth, and then I would get to a road called Whiskey Hill Road. It's where they used to run moonshine when moonshine used to be illegal. It's true. Um, I'd get to Whiskey Hill Road, and on Whiskey Hill Road, there was a power line that went down the length of the road, and it had all those big towers. You know those big towers that are up there and hold up all these wires with all these transformers? But when I left my house, and I would ride two to three miles to Whiskey Hill Road, it was sunny. It was great. And I would stop my bike right here on the edge of Whiskey Hill Road and I could see sun all behind me. This way, pouring rain. And that's kind of what Paul is talking about. He's saying, you can't help it. You're just in that kind of place where it's going to either be sunny or it's going to be rainy. You're, you're standing in the place, what is it? Where, uh, In the, place where the, in the spout where the glory comes out. That's what it is. That's what I was trying to think of. You're, you're under the spout where the glory comes out. You just ride into the rain in the hope that it's going to change, but it just comes down upon you. He says the blessings of Abraham are going to dog your steps. That's God's promise to you. Everything that was true of Abraham, who became the forefather of all Christians, people of faith, everything that God promised to him becomes yours. It's, it's like being born into the Bezos family or the Gates family. It's like everything that was promised to Abraham, bigger than any of that, all of it is yours. And it only increases as time goes on. Turn to Romans 4. It'll be the last Scripture we'll look at today. Romans 4 and verse 13. Romans 4, 13. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham 
or to His seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law. And here, Paul actually recognizes that you can be a part of the biological seed, you can be a part of the spiritual seed, or you can actually be both. Because there are those who are of the biological seed of Abraham, they are Jews, they are Semites, who also are believers in Jesus Christ. And there he recognizes it. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Seven times in Romans 4, you can go back and check it yourself, seven times God uses the term father about Abraham as our forefather. The Lord is saying is that what He promised to Abraham, it's to Abraham's ongoing genealogy. And that's you and I, who are believers in Jesus Christ. In other words, these promises are timeless. They're based upon genealogical faith. That's what it comes down to. That is why it said at the beginning, these are New Testament promises made to us. That's what it's about. Now, we're going to end here today for a specific reason. And I'll pick it up next week with the implications of this blessing. But today, I wanted us to look at, first of all, the time of the blessing, and it's timeless. As long as you're in Abraham's seed, it doesn't matter when you're born, you're in. You're part of his seed. And then I wanted to also look at the scope of the blessing, which is all who are of Abraham's seed are included in. So you've got the time, and you've got the scope of it. Now, having said all that, it's possible that you're sitting here today, and you're saying, okay, great. That's interesting information. What does this have to do with me? I believe it has everything to do with whether or not you feel like you fit in. And I would suggest to you that most people live their lives feeling like they don't fit. Some of you even here today feel like you were born in the wrong century. You're that kind of person. It's like, I would have done better if I was back whenever. This has everything to do with helping us to realize where we fit in as believers in Jesus Christ. Too many people spend all of their lives, even as Christians, trying to find a place they fit, a family, a tribe is the modern word. They want to find a place that they actually fit in. And it all starts with knowing what family you belong to. Now, maybe your family, like my family, wasn't anything to uh, boast about. Maybe your family was pretty broken, just like mine was. But what your earthly family was like isn't as important as what your spiritual family, what your eternal family is like. You have been brought into a family in Abraham's seed that changes everything about you, about where you fit in, and about your future, what God has said about you. All of the benefits, all of the promises of Abraham are yours. That's God's promise. And we're going to look at what those are as we're moving on. Um, David put it this way in Psalm 23. He said, Surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. That's God's promise that he gives as an inheritance through our forefather Abraham. For most of our lives, whether in word or deed, we feel like we don't measure up in some way. We're not uh, rich enough. We're not smart enough. We're not good looking enough. We're not wise enough. 
Um, I don't know uh, if they still have it. I haven't been there in years. But when I used to go with our kids to Darien, and they wanted to do the big people rides, I don't know, maybe they still have it. They used to have like a guy standing there, uh, wooden cutout, a guy standing there with kinds of notches, and you had to be at a certain height to ride the rides. Is that still there? Okay. I think for most of us, we live our whole lives feeling like we never are tall enough. We don't get to do the big people stuff, the real people stuff. I mean, there are other people around that are spiritual. We know that. I mean, there are, there are some real spiritual people. I, I know some spiritual people. You know, I, I think of um, Billy Graham. He was spiritual. You know, I could understand why Billy Graham would be in Abraham's family. Um, who else? Bill Johnson at Bethel. He's a pretty spiritual guy. Yeah. Um, Kavern Lonneville, she's pretty spiritual. I put them all in the same lump. Yeah. Me, I'm never quite tall enough. I'm, I, I, don't, I don't quite fit in. Um, and you would think that once you become a Christian, all of that would change, wouldn't you? You would think that once you become a Christian, you would realize everything changes. But I think sometimes Christianity does the same thing the world does. It's how do you measure up today? Are, are you spiritual enough? Are you wise enough? Are you good enough? I, I thought about this. Here are things that I have had different people say over the years. Things like this. And I'm putting two words at the beginning to kind of give you an idea. Real Christians never doubt. Real Christians never doubt. I've heard that said. I guess I'm not a real Christian, because I have many times. Real Christians never give in to temptation. Real Christians always have a pure thought life. Real Christians are always gentle, kind, and generous. Real Christians love to, love, the, love to read the Bible more than anything, second only to prayer. Real Christians never blow it. And this all adds up to real Christians get the great blessings from God. So I think we do some of the same stuff in the church that the world does. We didn't feel like we fit into the world. I was one of those people that didn't fit in my schools. Maybe some of you guys aren't like that, and that's God bless you. There's no judgment in it. I'm just telling you, I didn't fit in. I wasn't good enough at sports to be one of the jocks. I mean, I played, but I wasn't good. I wasn't smart enough to be one of the brainiacs. And I wasn't popular enough to be one of the popular crowd, the in crowd. And do you know, one of the things I have found through the years is the vast majority of the school kids feel they fit into this fourth category where you just don't fit in. And unfortunately, many people feel the same way in the church. Like, where do I fit? What's my place? And I wanted to start here today to say, you fit in because you're in Abraham's family. You're a part of the family. You might not ever get it perfect. You might blow it more times than not. But if you're in Abraham's family, you get all of Abraham's stuff. I've said to my kids from the time they were young, um, you are Lonavilles whether you like it or not. You're in our family. And there's nothing you can do that's going to change the fact that you're in my family, that you're my son, my daughter. There's nothing you can do. You could kill somebody. Would I be sad? Would I grieve? Yes. Would I be hurting about it? Yes. But you're still in my family. 
I had a nephew um, who, uh, at a young age, 17, decided on a whim, and, and he's made this story public, so I'm not speaking out of school. On a whim, he decided he and his buddy would run away from home because his parents, who were pastors, wouldn't let him smoke in the house. So they would run away from home and come to grandma and grandpa's house because grandma and grandpa smoke, my parents. And so they were going to run away, but they knew they didn't have the means. So they went to a convenience store with the intent of robbing that store. What they stole was some candy bars, some cigarettes, and some pop. And then they stole the um, cashier's car, all with the idea of coming to New York from Pennsylvania, actually Maryland is where the convenience store was. My nephew went out in the car, sat in the car, ready to go, when he heard a shot. They had taken a gun in with them to threaten to make her give him the stuff. The friend had stayed behind and had killed that young lady. He spent 21 years in prison for murder. He was still a part of our family, and he is still a part of our family now when he's now finally just gotten out of prison, traveling all over the place, speaking in school about choices that we make and how we can choose what we do, but we can't choose the consequences of it. I've said to my kids from the time they were little, there's nothing you can do to stop you from being my child. And that's kind of what Abraham's about here. Abraham's saying, you're my child. You're in my family. And whether you feel like you fit in or not, you fit in because you're in that family. And all of the inheritance of Abraham is yours. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I have to believe that it wasn't Jesus' intent that we put burden after burden upon believers to say, when you perform well enough, then you can be part of the family. All you had to do was to believe him. Once you've heard his invitation, his invitation is, would you not come into my heart? Once you've accepted that invitation, you're a part of the family and you will be forever. You're His. That's the promise of God. So that we sing this song when kids are little. Uh, maybe some of you guys have heard it. It goes something like this. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. We do that. Yeah, right arm, left arm, yeah, all that. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> We do that, though, with a much deeper theology than what we understand. That we have been added into the family. You today, as believers in Jesus Christ, if that is your faith in God, not how well you performed yesterday. Maybe you blew it this morning. Maybe you had a fight before you ever left home. Maybe you screamed at somebody. Maybe you swore. It doesn't change your position in the family. It doesn't mean there's not things to deal with. It doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to grow up. It doesn't mean He's not still forming His image in us. He is. But we're part of the family. And I wanted to start with this whole series that we're going to be doing on what the blessing really is. So that we don't just say, God bless you, without realizing what we're even saying. But we start with knowing our place, where we fit in. We fit into Abraham's family. Would you stand with me? We talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel literally means good news. I have good news for you today.
You're in God's family if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Not determined by how well you've performed or how many people you please. Not how popular you are. Not how rich you are. Not how smart you are. Not how holy you are. You're a part of the family because of faith in Jesus Christ. Let me just pray for you real quick. Would you bow your heads? I recognize, even in saying what I've said, that it's possible that you are here and you don't know Jesus Christ. You don't walk with Him. He's not your Savior. You've been living your life for yourself. But you would like to know that you fit in somewhere, that you have a family. And I'm here to tell you that God is inviting you into His heart. That's all it takes, just saying yes to Jesus. By faith, believing that He really does love you, that He has good plans for your life. If that's you and you say, I've never asked Jesus into my heart. I've never done this before and I would like to. I want to give you that chance. I don't want you to leave out of here and saying, I'm not in the family, when you could be. You could be part of God's family. If that's you and you would like to do that, I'm just going to ask you if you just raise your hand and say, I do. I want to. I want to be a part of that family. Maybe you all are already. That's fine. I just want to make sure, give you that opportunity. Father, in Jesus' name, for those who have already named the name of Jesus, they're a part of the family of God. I'm asking in Jesus' name that you would do something deep within us to settle this thing once and for all that we are yours. We're a part of the family. And all of the many blessings that you spoke over Abraham, which was more than just that he would have a lot of kids, of which we are a part by the Spirit, but that there is much inheritance that is ours because of that faith. And that we would walk as true members of the family of God. That we would know we have a place. We have a place here at Family Life Church. We're family here. This is our family because we are a part of His family. They have a place in the larger world because as sons and daughters of God, we have the privilege, according to Your Word, to be a blessing to many. And Lord, that's what we want. We want to be, like Abraham, transmitters of the blessing. So we ask You, God, to work that deep into the warp and woof of our being that when we next hear that song, Father Abraham had many sons, we would remember, that's me. I'm a son or a daughter of Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ. Let that resound within us, I pray. In the name of Christ, amen. Amen. Have a great rest of your day.